<laughs> they were a massive band in the 70s and 80s, uh, in case you can't tell from their, uh, their gear. Um, and uh, excellent tunes, so if you don't know them, young people, you should go check them out. Um, anyway, a couple of years ago, I was watching a documentary about the band, which included interviews with most of them, reflecting on their time together. And uh, Christine McVie, who is of the two ladies, she's the one on the left up there, she was one of the early members before uh, Lindsay Buckingham and Stevie Nicks joined the band. Now, just to, you know, really clear, Lindsay in this case was a boy, Stevie was a girl. It's important. Um, so Christine said that, because she had originally been the only girl in the band, and so there was a little moment after Stevie Nicks had joined the band when she started to feel a little bit of comparison and envy creeping in. As she sat behind the keyboard towards the side of the stage and Stevie Nicks stood out at the front being all kind of fabulous. And she said, thankfully, she paused long enough in that feeling to realize that actually she didn't need to be threatened or envious. Because actually, they were two very different people who brought very different things. She said, she doesn't play the, the keyboards like I do. And she doesn't write the kind of songs that I do. And she didn't have the kind of voice that I did. And actually, I would never have stood right in the middle at the front and twirled around the way that Stevie Nicks did. And so actually, she was able to put that feeling away. And as a result, the two of them became very, very close friends over many, many years. And it wasn't until the making of this documentary that Stevie Nicks was told about this feeling that Christine had had. And she said that she was so glad that she didn't have any idea about it at the time. Because if she had, she would have in no way wanted to upset Christine. And as a result, she would have shrunk herself. And she wouldn't have been able to be the most full version of herself. But actually, thankfully, because none of that came to fruition, both women were able to be the best versions of themselves, and the band was all the richer for it, quite literally. literally. Um, Theodore Roosevelt said that comparison is the thief of joy. But I think that it can also be the thief of a whole lot more than that. I think that it can be the thief of unity, and it can be the thief of love. Tonight we're continuing on in our series, looking at love as it is outlined in 1 Corinthians 13. And we come to the part about envy, boastfulness, and pride. So let's just work our way through the, the verses and look at them all together. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not pride. It does not dishonor others, is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And we're going to hone in on the second half of verse 4. Love does not envy, it does not boast. It is not pride. And that is why I'm not going to mention the rugby. <laughs> because boasting is not loving. Being prideful is not loving. And we also know that pride comes before a fall. And when you're about to play New Zealand, we'd want to just really play it safe. So, 
Let's first of all look at envy. So envy means having intense negative feelings over another's characteristics or other's achievements or successes, sorry. And I think envy can be quite an insidious characteristic. Because at first it might not seem like it's that harmful. But over time, it undermines and corrodes the love that is there to bond us together as a church family. So how might envy show up in our lives or maybe in our ministries? Maybe we have a particular role where we're serving and someone comes along and they also want to serve in that ministry. And we see that they're really quite gifted in this area. And deep in the ugly, unseen parts of our heart, we feel threatened about our place. Maybe envious of what they bring to the table and what that might mean for us. And so perhaps we exclude them. There's not really room in this ministry. We're, we're kind of full. We've got all that we need. Maybe we speak about them in a way that doesn't encourage other people to see their gifting. Or maybe we find fault with their character, something else about them. A very clear and extreme example of this from the Bible is in the life of Joseph. His brothers were envious of him to the point of selling him into slavery and telling their father that he was dead. That is what you call excluding someone. But it's a sobering reminder that envy, when it is allowed to take hold in our hearts, is truly poisonous. And Paul knows this, and he knows how toxic it can be for a church. And so he's calling the church at Corinth and calling us to something greater. And I also feel from personal experience that we experience envy when we ourselves are not fully secure in the Father's love. Because if we wholeheartedly know who we are and whose we are, then envy will not find a foothold in us. My first job was as a schools worker in Greater London. And when I left that role, the person who came and took over from me took what had been a small local trust working in one London borough and she revolutionised it. From there, she developed an entire ministry and series of resources that became used by youth workers across the whole of the UK. She became well-known as a speaker. She wrote books. And I once attended a wedding where she was part of the worship team, and it turns out she was the voice of an angel as well. <laughs> I, I only had the chance to meet her a few times, and I really, really liked her, because she's also lovely. But... That comparison of the seemingly lowly things that I had done compared to what she had subsequently gone on to do allowed the enemy to press on a heart wound that I had about not being good enough, about being second best. And from there was planted a seed of envy. 
And it came to a head at, a, uh, at an event where I was there working for Tear Fund and she was the main speaker. And as I sat in the auditorium listening to her, that sense of envy grew in my heart as the father of lies whispered all kinds of untruths to me that day. You see, the envy was able to grow because although I was aware of the wound, that weakness in my understanding of who I am in Christ, it wasn't fully healed at that time. And actually, as a result, that brokenness kept me and kept us back in a couple of ways. It meant that I could not fully celebrate my sister in Christ for the extraordinary woman that she is and the incredible ways in which God has used her to bless the church. I wasn't praying for her as she spoke, let alone receiving anything from God through her. And so both of us were missing out. But the envy also served to keep me small not embracing what God had given me to do because I was too busy thinking that it was insignificant compared to what somebody else was doing. Whereas when I finally came to understand and feel secure about who I am in Jesus, that he loves me and made me as I am, that there is room for all of us in his church with all of our gifts and our abilities, that there is no pecking order, as Ollie says, no superstars, then actually I can cheer and champion other people with their gifts and their abilities because we are all here to build up the church and play our part in the work of the kingdom. And the success and flourishing of one of my brothers and sisters is no threat to my place at the table. But we can't be complacent in this. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And so we need to be continually asking the Holy Spirit to show us if there are weeds of envy starting to grow up in the garden of our hearts. And if they are there, then we need to pull them out so that they cannot take root and spread and choke the fruit that is also growing there. <clears throat> so let's move on to think about boasting. One of the definitions of boasting is a self-display employing rhetorical embellishments in extolling oneself excessively. I mean, if that doesn't say boasting, I don't know what does. <clears throat> Part of the culture in Corinth was to debate to speak well in order that others would think well of you. And so we can see how the church could easily have become influenced by the cultural norms surrounding it, and that speaking in a church context could become something that someone did from a motivation that was perhaps selfish rather than loving. Now we might think, well, that's not really our culture, and it's a bit obvious if someone's boastful. And in fact, it's not really the done thing around here. It's a bit uncouth. So we can probably just skip over this one, can't we? Boasting comes from a place of self-centeredness and vanity. And that's something that none of us are totally immune to. 
In his letter to the Philippian church, Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. The fallen state of the human heart is selfish. And so while we might not boast in an obvious way, we can probably all fall prey to the trap of being self-serving, selfish, being more interested in ourselves than in others. And it's even possible to do that while ministering in the gifts of the Spirit. Steve Thompson, in his book, You May All Prophesy, speaks about a particular situation where he could have given a prophetic word to someone publicly and it could seem like it would have had more of an impact because others would have heard the revelation and all would have been encouraged and yet he chose to give the word privately. And he writes, some of you may think it would be dramatic and powerful to give a word like this publicly. While that may be true, I am not interested in being dramatic and powerful. I want to be wise and effective. There is a temptation to perform our ministry in a way that builds our reputation at the expense of building the people. Don't do it. Now, while many of us might not be regularly using our gifts in front of hundreds of people, I think we can all still fall victim from time to time of using them in a way that builds us up rather than the person that we're ministering to. Now, of course, we're going to be encouraged if we share a word or a, a picture or a gift of some kind and it, it builds somebody else up. But we need to be careful that we then don't start using the gifts for our own gain. In fact, if we're motivated by love, then Gordon Fee suggests that it's not possible to boast and love at the same time. He says, the one action wants others to think highly of oneself, whether deserving or not. The other cares for none of that, but only for the good of the community as a whole. And again, I think that when we have a sense of security about who we are in Jesus, we don't need to boast or make ourselves look better because our identity is not based on what others think of us. So finally, we come to the area of pride, which maybe in some ways overlaps a little bit with what we've been thinking about. And again, the first thing to say is that it's of course possible to be proud in a good way, to maybe feel really pleased with something that you've worked really hard on. That's not what we're talking about. But to be proud in an unloving way is to puff oneself up and think higher of yourself than you should. And from there, we can perhaps use comparison, but this time in a way that makes us feel better about ourselves. Again, it might not be something that's always outwardly obvious or that we even verbalize, but in our thinking, in our attitudes, maybe we think ourselves sometimes better than others. The opposite of pride, of course, is humility. And we have the ultimate example in Jesus. In Philippians 2, we read those very well-known words. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. 
Jesus was the son of God and yet he served with a humble heart. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is in John 21 where the disciples have gone back to fishing after the death of Jesus and after a night where they've caught absolutely nothing, suddenly there are instructions from a stranger on the shore and a miraculous catch. And they realize, of course, that the stranger is their friend Jesus and they make their way to him. Now, it must have been tempting at that point for Jesus to say, yes, it's me, I'm back. I've been to hell and back. I have saved all of mankind. It is done. It is finished. Bring it in. Show me some love. If anybody in all of humanity had a justifiable moment to be puffed up and proud, it was Jesus right then. But how does he greet his friends who ran away and abandoned him? Come, have breakfast. He had the fire going. He had the fish and the bread already cooking. He knew they'd been up all night and were tired and were hungry. And he met them exactly where they were with what they needed. Such extraordinary love, humility, servant-heartedness. I think it's also really helpful for us to have Jesus as a role model for humility because sometimes we can have the false idea that humility is about thinking that everybody else is better than us. That, well, I'm a bit rubbish, but that's okay because at least I'm not proud. At least I'm humble. Which, ironically, is kind of taking pride in your humility. Because the humility there is coming from the wrong place. Jesus did not think that everybody else was better than he was. But as the embodiment of love and knowing who he was... He showed us how to humbly serve those that we came into contact with. In the passage in Romans 12 about love, it tells us to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Honouring others above yourselves doesn't require us to think that we're not worth anything. Love is me fixing my attention on you rather than on myself. It's often said that humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. If I am a truly loving person, loving the person in front of me, if I am truly loving the body of Christ, there's no place for envy. There's no place for a boastful, ego-fueled attitude. No place for a position of pride. And so as fallen, self-centered human beings, we need to bring ourselves before the Lord and ask for his help to minister to one another from a place that is truly loving. And we're going to have the opportunity to do that in a moment or two during worship. And for some of us, perhaps tonight there's been a little ouch as maybe the Holy Spirit has just pointed out an attitude of some kind that just needs a little shifting, a little bit of realigning. And if you felt that, then I just really encourage you to bring that to God as we worship and ask him to mold and shape your heart so that it looks more like the heart of Jesus. But for others, 
I wonder if there will have been a sense of resonance when I spoke about these issues coming from a place of not feeling completely secure in the love of Jesus. That maybe you're sitting there and you think, ah, I do, there's a sense of lack, or I am stuck in comparison. And actually, I want to be free of that. I want to experience the wholeness of knowing in every part of me with absolute assurance that I am loved as I am so that I can minister to my brothers and sisters in love. And if that's something that you would like to respond to, then what I'm going to ask us to do during the ministry time if, is if the ministry team, if some of the ministry team can be next door um, in pairs, and if that's something you want to respond to, then you can go next door uh, and the ministry team will pray with you. And there are, on the table just there, there are some yellow bits of paper um, that have some Bible verses on there that are just about our identity in God that we might want to use as we pray with people. So I'm going to invite us to stand and just clear the chairs away and for the band to come up, and then I'm going to pray for us um, as we respond. Father God, thank you that you love us exactly as we are. But you want to mold and shape our hearts to be more like Jesus. And Lord, we offer our, ourselves, our hearts to you tonight. Would you draw us into alignment with who you are? And Lord, for those of us who are stuck in comparison, who just need to know the full freedom of what it is to stand in your love, whole and complete in every way, Lord, would you come and meet with us tonight? Would you break off the shackles of comparison? and envy would you allow us full freedom in you and if that's you then I, yeah, I'd invite you to respond to that word this evening um, and we're just going to spend some time in worship Amen